So welcome to Souls 411, your upper division pod class. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Paula Baker, who is the undergraduate research and experiential learning coordinator for Souls. And we are going to be discussing how to get involved in research, which is probably the most frequent question I get from students that is not strictly academic related, but I really feel like it's the most important thing besides your academics that you could be doing as an undergraduate in the School of Life Sciences. So anyways, Paula, you are the undergraduate research and experiential learning coordinator for our SOLAR program, which stands for a School of Life Sciences Undergraduate Research. Um, that's the acronym, but could you just tell us what SOLAR is and what the benefits of getting involved are? I think the benefits, well, SOLAR is twofold. Um, SOLAR is a smaller program within the School of Life Sciences for those involved in research. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit, but essentially the SOLAR program, uh, that acronym, School of Life Sciences Undergraduate Research Program, I consider, I always explain it as a supplement to your research. So like Evan was saying, you're in a lab gaining that experience in a lab, right? You're looking into microscopes or observing owls and coding their behavior. But sometimes in the lab, you're getting those lab skills, but you don't necessarily always get all of the skills that you might need. For example, how do I communicate my research to people who aren't scientists at all? Or how do I write that scientific paper? What makes a good graph within a journal article? Um, how do I mentor other people? How do I enhance my relationship with my mentor? So all of those kind of side skills, soft skills that one might need in order to be a more well-rounded researcher, that's kind of what we do in SOLAR. We take those undergraduate researchers and we kind of give them additional skills to help them succeed in the workforce. Um, and then that's one subset within undergraduate research as a whole within the School of Life Sciences. Awesome, awesome. How do students get involved in SOLAR? So the one big kind of hurdle to being part of the SOLAR program is being in a research lab. So in order to apply to the program, students need to have that faculty mentor. They need to essentially be working in a lab. Um, and that's usually the biggest hurdle that people have to overcome to be part of our seminar, be part of our program, etc. which we can also talk about how to find labs. Let's go right into it. How, okay. how do students find research opportunities? How do they find labs on campus and you know, faculty to work with? Okay, so I usually tell students that there are essentially three main ways to find a lab. Uh, the first is sending cold emails, and I'll put that kind of to the side and we'll go into depth on that. Um, but the first one, or the second one really is building relationships within the courses that you're taking. So a lot of students find labs because they're attending office hours, their TAs, uh, teaching assistants, or their professors kind of know them, what they're interested in. They don't always go to office hours or student success hours because they have questions about the material. They just want to like talk about the material with the faculty because they're interested in it. So in getting to know your professor, getting to know your teaching assistants and having them know you kind of as a face and a person and who, you know, is familiar to them, a lot of times uh, faculty will bring students into their labs that way or they might know someone three doors down the hallway that, you know, needs a person in their lab if it's not particularly, uh, if their lab isn't particularly something that you're 
completely interested in, they might have a colleague that they can refer you to. So a lot of students find positions that way, especially when it comes to their teaching assistants, right? So the teaching assistants, they're probably gonna have more face-to-face -face time because the teaching assistants are the ones grading, things like that. And uh, whenever a faculty member has a lab, they have grad students kind of within their lab doing their own research. So a lot of the grad students are recruiting for their own projects. Um, and that's kind of an easier way to get in because the grad students are kind of doing the day-to-day -day work a lot of times. So they'll know if there's an opening or a need uh, and you can discuss that with them. The third way to find uh, research experiences is through ASU's Handshake site. So the SOLAR program, the School of Life Sciences, is listed as an employer within Handshake. And so sometimes professors will come to us and they'll say, hey, I have an opening in a lab. Can you post it onto Handshake for me? And uh, so we will. And students can apply to those open positions just like they would apply to a job. You know, it'll in the listing, it'll say what the position is, uh, who it's with. You submit your resume or, or your transcript or whatever other information that they need. And that's another way to find positions. That's a little bit more rare in the sense that sometimes faculty don't contact us directly about open positions. And that's because the culture is generally still cold emails is, is how most people find their students and how most students find labs. Yeah, I was going to ask you kind of what the breakdown was. I don't think you know any better than I do because I'm working with students trying to get into research labs all the time. Of course, Handshake is one way that you suggest that they do this. But my sense from talking to students is that the majority of them still are getting into labs based on just cold emailing professors that could be professors they've had classes with and done well with. It could just be professors where they're going to the School of Life Sciences, find a lab website, and they're finding professors with similar interest to theirs. So, you know, we're, we group all of our life sciences professors under their areas of interest. So if you're interested in aging, you could find the aging, you could find all the professors who work in aging. If you're interested in cancer, you could find all the professors who are interested in cancer. But, you know, like we, like we were saying, the majority of students are finding their positions through cold emailing. So Paula, what advice do you have for students who are sending out that cold email to professors? I would say, first of all, is obviously look for those faculty on the Souls website, but don't limit yourself to Souls faculty. Um, go to the School of Molecular Sciences. If you're a um, student majoring in neuro what is that biology and neuro neurophysiology neurobiology physiology and behavior yes a lot of those students work in psychology labs or like i said if it's say you have a minor in public health because you want to go that direction with your biomedical degree you know don't be afraid to look at other schools and departments websites to expand your reach with regard to faculty because there might be someone kind of interdisciplinary that works out of another school so expand your your search for faculty is number one um the f other thing that i'll mention with regard to cold emails is Essentially, the one big piece of advice that I have is don't make your emails look the same for every professor. So if you're, you know, you might be emailing 10 to 15 professors on the same particular day because you're kind of sending out a bunch of emails. And that's fine. A lot of times you don't have to wait for one faculty member to respond to you to reach out to another one. Send them all at the same time. But you don't want to email blast them in the sense of, every email looks the same because they want to know that you kind of know what their lab is doing, right? So I always recommend that once you find a professor that 
seems to have compelling research um, that you might be interested in, go to the library, look up a couple of their most recent papers, see if there's any like seminal papers that they've done. So is there a paper that like everyone is citing from like 10 years ago because they're, you know, expert in this field that everyone's going to go to. So look at their papers, read a few of them so you're familiar with their work and their particular niche. Um, and then I would also say go, if they have a lab website, go to their lab website. Because in addition to understanding what research they're doing, you can also get a sense of, you know, what's the vibe in the lab? Like, what is the culture like? What are the values that this particular lab has. So I always use um, the SMAC lab as an example of this because he specifically talks about on his website um, his dedication to equity and inclusion and um, making it a safe space and like really making a collaborative standing up for each other. And he also communicates that like he wants to talk about failures, right? So if those are values that you're interested in, that's also something that maybe you bring up in an interview or in an email uh, to kind of ensure that you're familiar with, with the lab culture. And then once you have that specific information, you can start crafting your email and inputting little doses or sprinkles of that specific information to each email to each faculty. Yeah, there's so much in there that I want to grab onto. Like, first of all, yes, in terms of not limiting yourself just to School of Life Sciences faculty, I have a microbiology student who's very interested in mushrooms and psilocybin, and he found a psychology professor who's studying this right now and its impact on the microbiome. And this fits perfectly with his what he wants to do in graduate school. And so he's now working in a psychology lab. And um, talk to your academic advisor about that, by the way, both once you get into a research lab, if you email your academic advisor to tell them that you've gotten this research opportunity, we can get you credit for it. And even potentially for a psychology lab like that, we could maybe still get you what's called Bio 495 credit for it, because that's technically the class that you'll enroll in. And that's very valuable because it's basically going to take the place of a lab. So if you don't want to do like the biochemistry lab, you could do Bio 495 instead, which is usually pretty appealing to most students. Let's get back to solar. So we've, we've sort of gone through finding that research lab. Usually at what point in their academic careers do students apply to solar? Is this something that is largely like freshmen and sophomores doing it? Is it all age ranges? What's the distribution that you're seeing? Um, with regard to solar, it's we have people in their first year. We have people in their senior year. We've had people in their senior year who've been in solar since their you know first semester first year so it's really for everyone every we combine all the different like levels of solar into one seminar and there's uh but the seminar rotates each semester so regardless of when you take it how many times you've taken it it's always like fresh content so we might talk about mentorship one semester but the next semester we're talking about microaggressions in the lab and career exploration. Um, so regardless of how long you've been there, it's always fresh and something new. The reason why solar works for so many people for so long is one, the fresh content that we're giving out, but also there's a way for students to progress through the solar program um, and kind of show that progression on their resume and on their transcript. So the apprentice and researcher levels are generally for students who are getting started in research, have you know zero semesters to one year of research experience, um, and students can come in at any time, um, apply to the program, get started with us. Uh, and these are students generally who are taking direction from upper division 
uh, upperclassmen students or graduate students. And then as a researcher is within the lab and they start maturing as a researcher and taking on more of a leadership role in the lab or start developing their own projects, um, they can then be eligible to move into the upper levels of solar, which is the scholar and fellow level. Uh, the really great thing about the scholar and fellow level is that those positions come with stipends. So instead of a student working 10 hours at Starbucks, they now spend 10 hours in the lab and they're getting paid for that work, for rent, for food, whatever expenses they have as, as they're a student. So, yeah. Um, have you, I'm going to throw two different things at you, and maybe you've, maybe you've heard these things, maybe you haven't, maybe they're just like urban legends. One, students have a better chance of getting into a lab the earlier they are in their academic career. So freshmen and sophomores would have an easier time getting into a lab than juniors or seniors. True or false? True. Definitely true. And the reason for that is um, a lot of faculty mentors want to mentor a student for a few years in a row right? They want that relationship. They want to be able to write that really strong letter of recommendation. Um, and they want the same people kind of seeing a project through. And sometimes those projects take two or three years. And another benefit is a junior or senior, you might have to like train out bad habits that some of those students might have. And so if a student comes in without experience and they're just getting started in their career as a student, you can teach them the good habits from the beginning. I usually recommend that, you know, take a semester, your first semester in at ASU, get familiar with your classes, the structure of college, um, get those good study habits in place. And then after you have a semester under your belt where you'll feel like, okay, I have a solid foundation that I built for myself, I can now branch out and start looking into the extracurricular stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The way that I've heard it described is that it takes them like a semester to train you just to be like a productive member of their lab. So if you're like a second semester senior, you're just like total dead weight to them if you're applying. Whereas if you're a first semester sophomore, you'll be dead weight for one semester, and then the other, what, five semesters, you'll actually be like a productive member of the lab. Here's the other rumor slash urban legend that I've heard is that um, when interviewing, it is best to hide that you are pre-med because they will discriminate against pre-med students. Have you heard this at all? I have not heard it, but can you explain kind of what the reasoning might be? I think what the professors are concerned about is that um, they're doing it to fulfill like a pre-med requirement. Like they're doing this purely because they're pre-med and that the, the professor would actually rather work with someone who is interested in research for its own sake. And so that this would be more... You'd be more likely to signal this if you at least pretended to be interested in a PhD, because people who are doing PhDs really are just interested in research for its own sake, presumably. Whereas if you're doing it because you're pre-med, it's like, well, everyone knows that this looks impressive on a pre-med application, and therefore you're just doing it to check a box. Yeah, I would definitely say that that makes a lot of sense to me, simply because um, a lot of people, even not people who aren't pre-med, do it to check a box, right? And so I think that really goes into like those cold emails, right? Mm -hmm making sure that you're actually interested in the work that that particular lab is doing. If you're, even if you're a pre-health, pre-med major, there's some aspect of biology that like you geek out about that like you find so interesting that you just want to give a PowerPoint presentation to your friends about, right? Like try and find a lab that's like that. Um, and kind of going back to the whole why get involved in research, which we've, uh, Evan first talked about, like, one of the reasons a lot of people get involved in research is to have that exploration and explore career directions. Um, I've had students in solar who 
you know, were pre-med and they came in knowing I'm pre-med. I'm also interested in research. Of course I am. But I'm pre-med. My dad's a doctor. My grandfather's a doctor. You know, I, I have contacts at Mayo. I'm doing pre-med, right? And then they get into research and they're like, I love this. I'm doing a PhD now. Being a doctor, medical doctor isn't for me. And the opposite things happen. Like you get into a lab and like I personally have been part of labs before and I like the research aspect. I like uh, interviewing participants. I like talking about the ideas and reading papers. I don't want to write papers. Oh, I love communicating the research. Like put me up in a group and I will communicate the research to you verbally. But like, I don't want to write a results paragraph or talk about, figure out how to like communicate statistics in a results paragraph. Like that sounds awful to me, right? So I'm not going to go into research because I don't want to do the writing. Um, so it kind of helps you figure out, okay, what do I like? What do I don't like? And how might that influence my career? If you really like science communication, great. Figure out how can I communicate the research that everyone else is doing because that's my forte and other people might not like that communication aspect. Well, you might have just answered this question, in which case we'll just delete this. But, um, you know, I when I'm advising students in why they should uh, become involved in a lab or what they should get out of their lab or research or solar experience, I'm usually thinking very utilitarian, like, well, you can get a letter of recommendation out of this. And if you're applying to a lab later, this could be like a reference that you could include in your application. So very, like, um, tangible, like, what this person can do for you. But your statement just there about like how this might help you find out if you're even interested in research or not, or maybe you're so interested in research that you decide that medical school is actually not for you and you'd rather pursue a PhD. Or I've had students who have decided they want, they still want to do a, a, an MD, but they want to do a joint PhD MD. But what should students be like looking to get out of their time in research or the solar program more specifically? I think a lot of students find community within their labs. So, you know, ASU is a big place and whether it's a solar program or, you know, a, a lab in general or whatever it is, it kind of creates or it gives an opportunity for a small little family within college because this is my lab, this is my home, this is where I'm working from. Yeah, I, I might not be doing research in the lab, but I'm doing a research in the lab that day in the sense of I'm you know, running PCR tests or feeding the mice, but maybe I'm hanging out there anyway because that's where I do my homework now, right? Um, so there's a lot of community that happens within the labs. Um, and I think, too, students gain skills like communication that you're going to need in any type of career. Uh, how to set expectations for other people on what you need them to do and how to like take direction and take coaching in addition to help others in their growth process as well. Um, and a lot of students feel like they um, better understand how scientists think. So you are in your classes and you're gaining, you know, some critical thinking skills and understanding kind of the outcome of research, right? But you almost get to see that in process and understand, oh, this didn't work how do we pivot, but how do we figure out the best direction in which to pivot? Um, and a lot of students feel like the research lab taught them how to be comfortable, comfortable with failure and being wrong. Like I tried something, it didn't work. Like it hurts, it's awful, I hate it, but also like because it's, an, it's rooted in experimentation and questions and figuring things out, 
they're able to not only use those I'm okay with failure in the lab, but also like I'm okay with failure in real life as well. And kind of treating your personal life. Oh, well, that was an experiment that didn't work with regard to that relationship. What data can I mine from it and figure out what to do better the next time around? Last question. You took us through sort of the life cycle of the uh, the solar the person in the solar program. But where does the um, the iSTEM solar prep, which I hear about somewhat frequently, where does where does that fit in? Like, is that different from solar? Is that part of solar? iSTEM solar prep is like a child of solar, I guess you could say. <laughs> so um, solar has the general solar program where those 40 or 50 students are part of the solar program. They progress through the levels, etc. We have essentially two little babies within the solar program. And one is... Um, actually the online immersion research experience where students essentially work in a lab on campus even though they're online so they're doing research that way and they come into campus for a week every semester to do lab work in person so we have online immersion as one of the babies and then the other baby is uh, iSTEM solar prep and essentially we kind of view this as an on-ramp into research where students who don't have a lab yet who kind of want to see what research might be like, dip their toes in, maybe gain some skills that they can then go to a faculty and say, not only am I interested in your research, but I did iSIM Solar Prep, and it taught me how to do DNA extraction, how to do PCRs, it's how to do data analysis. And they're able to almost gain some confidence and uh, feel like they're offering something in addition to getting something from the lab. Um, and anyone can sign up for ISIM Solar Prep. I should say immersion students. It's only immersion for now, but we're hoping that we can transfer it and have an online version as well. Anyone can uh, sign up for it. You just need course permission. You can email me. If you look in the description, my email will be in the description. Um, and we'll get you uh, permission to register. And essentially, we just go through. We kind of take you through the life cycle of research. You're in the lab a few times throughout the semester to learn those skills. And a lot of students have been able to find labs from that experience. Some students have been like, I hate this. I don't even want to find a lab anymore. Um, and about 90% of students who come through the iSTEM solar prep program have found that they feel much more ready to re for research and ready to contact faculty. And even in that class, we talk about cold emails, we talk about resumes, we revise cold emails and resumes, and we give you feedback on make this better, this looks great. So you'll get some specific one-on-one -on -one time, if you will, on crafting those materials for, for your course. Um, the other thing I want to mention really quickly, uh, kind of preparation for research, is course-based undergraduate research experiences. And they're called CURES, C-U-R-E-S. Um, and essentially what they are is instead of after class heading over to your lab, spending a couple hours there, you know, doing the PCR tests or running, you know, videos on owls to code their behavior, you kind of instead of going there, you just go to a classroom, right? And there's maybe 20, 25 people there. There's a faculty member there. And instead of going to that faculty's lab, the faculty member is essentially coming to you, having you do research within a course environment. Um, and so it's a very abbreviated experience, I guess you could say, in the sense that it takes place over those 16 weeks. And it also allows you to kind of dip your toes into research in the sense that it's like, okay, do I like 
doing this type of thing? Do I want to find a lab? A lot of students do cures uh, because they want a little bit of experience to kind of show off in their resume. And cures are actually really good for like those seniors who don't have a lot of time yet left. They can't do a traditional lab experience, but this will give them some experience within a lab environment where they're actually doing research and finding new data and finding new knowledge and putting things together to kind of put on their resume and kind of get them there, if you will. Uh, so course-based research experiences are wonderful. We generally have two to three a semester. They're usually housed under like a 494 class or a 498 class. Uh, this semester we have one on CFAGES, uh, which is part of a larger a national HHMI grant, Howard Hughes Medical Institute. We also have one that's rooted in mosquitoes. So those are great kind of toe dipping experiences in addition to ISM Solar Prep. And the cures are also great for students who are ending or almost done with their program. Yes, sign off on all of that. Um, yeah, these these care cl classes and the you know bio and mic 494s or 498s are great experiences in general because I mean, for so many reasons, but, um, you know, your undergraduate classes tend to be huge. Like, Bio 181 and Bio 182 are obviously gigantic classes, but, like, Bio 351 and Bio 360 are not really that much smaller. The CURS classes tend to be on the smaller side. You're getting more individualized attention from the professor. Again, I'm going to utilitarian mode It because it's smaller and because you have the advantage to get to know the professors and really go to office hours and stuff. If you're a senior especially, it is a good way to maybe procure, like, that last minute letter of recommendation if you haven't done such a good job so far getting to know your professors. So for all the reasons Paula said, plus those, would highly recommend getting involved in that. Um, Can I just yeah. add, a lot of the course-based research experiences don't require any research at all. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't have prerequisites, mm -hmm. so they're not asking you to make sure that you've completed 181 and 182. They're just willing to kind of train you from, from the ground up. So mm -hmm. that's another benefit of them as well. Yeah, and again, uh, like the Bio 495s I was discussing before, these will, for the most part, Kind of depends on your concentration, but for the most part, these will count as labs on your graduation audit. And, you know, honestly, it's a it's better than taking like animal physiology lab or something like that or biochemistry lab, the, the, the two most notorious. So do it for that reason as well. I would say that with regard to 495, with regard to 495 as well, um, just so you're aware, a lot of faculty members prefer like a student kind of onboard into their lab uh, for a semester or so before they sign a bio 495 agreement and that's generally for like the protection of the faculty and the student so is this actually going to work out you're probably going to like figure each other out during that first semester make sure that the relationship is going to work and then i would feel comfortable kind of signing a 495 agreement um, as a student after that first semester just because if it's a first semester kind of interaction and you're still feeling each other out um if it doesn't work out or like you just don't vibe or whatever um, with their mentorship style or the lab group or whatever, you can kind of find something else without it being present on your transcript as a withdrawal or something like that. So I would definitely recommend that kind of on-ramp into the lab as like a volunteer for a few months and then try to start filling out that 495 and inquiring about it. Well, Paula, that's all I've got. That was fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you. If any students have questions or want to contact me directly and, you know, have a chat, we can chat via Zoom, you can come by my office, uh, please let me know. Just send me an email. My email is in the description below. I'd be happy to talk to you, go over your cold emails, give 
feedback on your resume, whatever you need, I'm happy to always discuss research. So please reach out and contact.